As always, another big week in the emerging game. Fair break run and done in Hong Kong. Major League Cricket finally gets the green light. The Australian Indigenous team off to Vanuatu. Action in Africa, Asia and Europe. Plus some news and housekeeping from us as we look to go bigger and better. That's all coming up. Warm welcome in again to the Emerging Cricket Podcast on Sport FM and around all your favourite podcast spots. Daniel Beswick joined by Tim Cutler this week. Nick is enjoying gallivanting on a trip to the Faroe Islands from Reykjavik, wishing him all the best and hopefully not leaving him too much editing and other things to do. I'm joined by Tim in his office in Port Villa. How are you, good sir? I'm very well. Thank you, Daniel. It's good to be back. Long-time listener, occasional co-host, guest, purveyor of Pacific News, but uh, I'm okay. Sitting in the office because I uh, don't have internet at home. I don't know, something happened around the around the cyclones and I think it broke the router, so here I am sitting here because otherwise the 3G there, or the 3 and 4G, horrible. So uh, sorry for the echo, seeing the new office that's just been made for me because the... Uh, building at Independence Park still doesn't have a roof so that would make it difficult to um, to have an office there but Jamal Veer has done a beautiful job in making me an office but yeah I'm okay. Bit of a weird day, dropped my phone off to get repaired at Computer World here in Vanuatu, two hour job, went to go pick it up and the place was on fire so I don't think I'm going to get my phone today so I'm contemplating a, <laughs> a data-less evening so modern day stresses daniel how, how are you how are you balancing your uh, your nine lives uh, pacific soap opera of sorts over there in port villa it's not quite a comedy of errors but just a, a series of unfortunate events that have just uh gone into one big snowball of uh vanuatu tim cutler pain but good to have you back here on the pod i almost forgot what you, you look like um get your nose to the grindstone doing a whole bunch of things not just for Vanuatu, but for us at EC, and we'll talk about that a little bit in a second. Uh, yeah, I'm not too bad. We had the buy for football over the weekend, but it basically just meant that I got to play more golf. Got bundled out of the FA Cup. Uh, we ran second in a game last Wednesday. I'm not going to say too much more than that, other than we got sharked, I think, by uh, a few ex-Irish pros who have decided to put a team together in the middle of Randwick. Uh, just a lot of sort of... ICC stuff, it's a quietish time with the IPL for us. There is some international cricket around, but definitely not as much. It helps me get back into, you know, trying to live like a normal person. And Mel remembers what I look like and all of that. We've had our housemate move out, so we've taken his room as the uh, office of the house and uh, trying to build out a nice little emerging cricket space. And I think that might be a good little segue into... I suppose some housekeeping and some news of ours, Tim, uh, over the last week. Uh, let everyone know that we're building a, a new website finally. Uh, I'm not sure too much will actually change on, on the front end, but we've had a range of suggestions from everyone around uh, the emerging cricket world with things that they want to see there. Make sure to keep those suggestions coming. We're not too sure how long that's going to take, but... Yeah, we had some issues with our current site for a long time and um, I was very happy to, to find out that we were eventually moving on to bigger and better things and Tim, you've sort of played a big part of, of all of that, not only on the site itself, having almost put it together yourself in the early days, but getting in contact with our, our man 
uh, to help in the background and uh, put it all together. It's an exciting time and we've got some, I think, some pretty cool things lined up. And um, we want to give a, a, a shout out, I suppose, not only to the contributors at, at EC who join us in, in writing and even helping out, you know, with, with podcasts and other bits of content, but also our patrons who have, you know, pledged their money over the last, however long we've had Patreon, I think going on, you know, three, maybe close to four years here or there. So that money has, has gone into to us building this new site as well as other bits of upkeep and, and other things too, just to ensure that as Tim, you like to say that we've, we've kept the lights on a very you know, exciting time coming up and hopefully it gives us a chance to bolster our coverage. I know the contributors are very keen to, to kick on and, and we're open to, to bringing more people in there. There was a time when we just found it a little bit difficult to kind of bring everyone on. There was a, a load of interest there at one point, but we're keen to ramp things up again. And uh, Tim, you've played a, a pretty big part in all of that. Thank you, Daniel. Yeah, it's not, not too exciting. I guess everything that happens, it's like the, the duck with the uh, feet underneath the water doing doing all the work. But um, no, I think over the past few months, it was clear that the cloud infrastructure that we had behind at the server wasn't coping with it. So we've been able to move across and our developer who's in Bangladesh has helped out there. So I think what we have now is the way that Air Vanuatu just described their 737, it's serviceable <laughs> at, at the moment. So it's uh, we'll be able to get things up and up and going for the time being. But it also means we don't have to rush a change, which I think at one point we're looking at having to change things pretty quickly, but we've got this going. So for those who haven't done these things, websites can either be an absolute custom build where every line of code is uh, written from scratch, or you can buy pre-made themes that are like a skin that go over the, the information, the blogs and whatnot. And our theme that we've spent quite a bit of time customizing, especially things like our profile pages and whatnot, meant that uh, there was people in there doing lots of adjustments manually. And I think we're trying to get to a world where a lot of that will be taken care of for us by the setup, but also be a lot more forward in the sense of how it highlights sort of new digital uh, engagement around video and, and audio and whatnot where it's sort of like very newspaperish at the moment but like you said keep the suggestions coming i can see the number of patrons have, have messaged and responding to our call but don't be afraid talking to us on the on facebook on twitter or or anything because you know ultimately we've we've put this all together for the for cricket fans to to get all this information so um no ideas a sleep one at this stage no definitely not yeah glad you brought up the profiles if you're a fan or you live or work in a particular country in the cricket world that doesn't have an ec profile make sure to get in touch as well we are trying to build one for every single member and it is quite difficult when you've got over 100 now knocking about and that's just icc members there's cricket of course blooming in other parts of the world who aren't ICC members as yet and you know we may well find ourselves with a couple of new members come June and July when that tends to be announced as well and yeah if you want to sign up to the Patreon as well um, you can look that up I think you know two US dollars a month is the minimum pledge and that just helps us put things together and clean things up and just make sure that we, we get everything done across different profiles and, and, and different accounts and using different services, Zoom being one of them here as we uh, as we record. Although Nishad Rega, I think, might have foot the bill early on in, in, in terms of uh, in, ensuring that we've got this ready to go at every podcast and video call as well. So, you know, it's not just the, the patrons, it's, a, it's the contributors over the years. And we've had, you know, several dozen now bringing something to the table, not just writing, helping out on 
on sound or website building, um, just everything you can kind of think of as has been helped out on by by someone along the way. So, you know, we're we're grateful to do all of this, but there are a lot of people around doing their little bit for emerging cricket and ensuring that everything gets done. Yeah, and like to put that in context, you know, all the central costs over that time, and that doesn't include you know people's flights or accommodation. They've gone to cover tournaments. Everybody's done that off their own bat, but um, we've spent over. Over ten thousand dollars, I think Australian dollars uh, at this stage already, just on website upkeep and Zoom and and Podbean and all those things to keep it going. So it's that money that comes in from patrons that means that that's not coming out of the pocket to those that are contributing, but it also means there's a a little bit of money there for us to invest in this in the website that you're talking about. So yeah, huge thanks to everyone who's who's done that, which means we can stretch our legs a little bit and reach for the sky even more because you know we know that there are still millions of cricket fans out there that we haven't got to that well i think we agree that there'd be things that they're, they're interested in it's just a matter of having a, a platform or platforms that that reaches them but ultimately i just want to build a website that bertus doesn't give us crap about as he has about the current website so that's basically <laughs> where i want to get to <laughs> it's, uh yeah other things too just you know off the top of my head you know we cross post and, and stream a lot of the ACS series that, that go on in, in European cricket and Daniel Weston's been a, a long-term supporter of ours as well we try and give plenty of coverage for, for European cricket but they do an excellent job in their own right and, and sometimes I think for me personally we don't feel like we need to do a terrible lot because their their coverage has been excellent and it's almost a, a yardstick in terms of streaming and, and live broadcasting that you know you'd want others to to follow suit with but yeah they they play a big part in in our project as well big ant studios who many know from the create games that they put out uh every two years or so they've got another one coming out in june um they've supported us in the past a number of people out there so um yeah we're just trying to, to make sure we, we don't really forget anyone and there's you know exciting times we know that 9 by 16 video is a big thing now across TikTok and Reels and we want to play a bigger part there. Um, so if people are loving sort of, you know, video editing and, and stuff like that, we're all ears as well. But yeah, no no idea is too small, too big or too stupid really. We are an open book and, and happy to listen to, to everyone out there. Should we talk some uh, cricket, Tim, that's gone on in the emerging world? I think we can start with Fair Break. Fair Break is a movement that, you know, we've been on board with for a long time, not in an official capacity, but even before the the invitational tournaments, you know the events that they've had in, in years gone by. We know the story of of Sean Martin going back a few years now, actually working with Lisa Stalaker, coming up with the idea, wanting a, a women's T Twenty franchise league all the way back in as far as I think twenty thirteen. Fast forward ten years, we've got the second edition of the Fair Break Invitational. Uh, in its spiritual home, I think you can call it, of, of Hong Kong and the Kowloon Cricket Ground, a place you know quite well, Timothy. Another great tournament put up um, as we've, we've seen the Warriors beating the uh, Falcons in the final. Uh, a huge hundred from West Indies, Hayley Matthews, I, I think, setting the teams apart. But looking at it from a, an emerging cricket perspective, I think they played a bigger part in this particular tournament if we are to wrap it up. In some respects, the disparity between you know full member abilities and associate abilities, the bridges, is quite wide. Though in saying that, we've had a number of key performances. The leading wicket-taker of the tournament was Catherine Bryce of Scotland with 13. Uh, she also played a big part with the bat in the final, hitting well, a swath of boundaries, uh, especially at the end of that innings, just to make sure they posted a big enough total. Mika Gore made another big impression as the tall left armour. I uh, went back and found Nick mentioned her as early as June last year when 
just before she broke out at the under-19s World Cup as well. So fair play uh, to Nick, who is probably listening somewhere between the Faroe Islands or Reykjavik or the body of water uh, in between Iceland and, and the Faroes. But another great tournament, and we know that the movement's a great one. I'm certainly not going to hear sort of really a bad word coming out of our mouths in regards to what this brings. Interested to see what goes on from here. They've got a tournament in the USA lined up for later in the year. I think maybe putting your business hat on here, Tim, what do you think is next for Fairbreak, looking at, at this competition and the one last year as well, moving forward to, to deliver you know more cricket and, and, and an even better product perhaps? Well, before I get on to that, I'll just sort of pick up on your point about the golf or seeming golf between the full member players and, and the associate players. I think the great thing about it is that we have a platform here that's basically 50-50 mm. full member stars and associate member stars. So on one hand, I don't know if I'd call it nagging doubt or you know, to see so many full member players come into the event, I sort of felt it lost a bit of its continental flavour of having people from as many countries as there were before. And it wasn't just because Selena and Rachel weren't invited to this one, but I sort of thought, okay, well, where is Fairbreak headed? You know, And I think it'd be great to get... Sean on the podcast and have him answer it rather than us try and come up with it um, as to what's the end game here and what are, the, what are they getting to? Are they building a, a model that is commercially viable and therefore has the biggest stars in the world and is able to, to wash its face? Because I think it's clear to see the, the level of production we're seeing and everything around it from the umpires being, being flown in and how they've been looked after to the production levels. And I think we may have hopefully all seen the, the picture put out by Kowloon Cricket Club um, earlier this week of the, the production room, which looks like it could be doing the IPL, not sort of a single ground tournament as Fairbreak was. I think from a kind of a commercial point of view, they used to sort of think if they're struggling to get the crowds, they are... And the, the sponsorship that's come from Gencore has been great, but you know, is that going to keep going? You sort of wonder what's the next step and where, and where are they going to and what's this going to look like 2024, 2025 and, and, and onwards. As we hope when we get to that stage, we're going to be seeing much larger Women's World Cups. And I'm hoping to get news, I'm hoping we get news on that when we hear about the next cycle. Um, already got some positive news about support in the regional finals the men t20 world cup with the icc increasing squad sizes etc which is is great but i think we'd, we'd all want to see greater representation in world cups with women's teams just when we're seeing the men's teams get bigger so yeah it's an interesting one as to what is next um, because it's a great platform for us to see these players play but all this money is going to come from somewhere and i think it's fair to say that uh, women's sport in, in many countries is still in, in that investment phase and whilst there's a lot of payoff from a from a societal point of view, I think we're still getting to the not yet to the point where companies and commercial entities are, are recognising the value that's presented with women's sport to the point where something like this will be able to to flourish. Although I, I hope it does, and if anything's going to, it's going to be fair break because there's no, nothing else like it out there. I don't even know from any other sports point of view either whether whether anyone's trying to do something like this. Yeah, a few other players to, to stick out. I actually want to make a, a point that Natick and Chantum took a wicket at this tournament and we'd <laughs> never really seen Natick and Chantum bowl up until this point. Uh, I was in the third place playoff, which might hint that maybe roles were, were moved around a little bit and, and players got a chance to do things that they don't normally get a chance to do on the field. But there were a, a number of, of performers to, to stand up. And yeah, you make a great point, you know, the... 
just the platform to be able to see some of the best in the associate world take on full member cricketers. You know, it's just an opportunity that we just never see otherwise. And, and how are you going to give that chance for players to, to grow and develop unless they, they play against some of the best in, in the full member world? You know, the likes of DeAndre Dotton, who's retired from the international cricket, but still playing on the franchise scene. Uh, Marazan Cap, who's just an ultimate competitor. Uh, Chamari Adipadu, who's the best Sri Lankan women's cricket player ever. It's, again, you know, we, we don't really get these opportunities that often. And, and even with the awarding of ODI status to a, a couple of nations around the associate world, there hasn't really been an opportunity for um, those teams to play in, in bilateral series against each other, let alone against full members. So this is a good opportunity to, to kind of showcase the best, as, as we mentioned. And Laura Cardozo, a player who played in last year's tournament, didn't really get much of a go, taking six wickets in six matches this year and setting the tournament alight, especially early, made a, a really big impression. And I think, you know, was one of the headlines of, of the tournament just goes to show, you know, where the ability is out there. Sonner and Tipok, uh, a player who's at the twilight of her career, uh, performing well, Satura rang as, as well. So, so consistent um you could tell you know from a bowling point of view our, our kind of theory of associate bowlers rang true if you were to kind of look at at the sheer numbers of it all but you know teeth uh, satish of of the falcons and uae making 172 runs at an average of 34.4 you know there is enough talent there and we, and we know through the uae especially at the under 19 level and then at the senior women's level they're a team that's on the up and and shown by this competition before so once again, congratulations to everyone involved in organising the competition and, and for the players out there showcasing their talents as well. Um, certainly, you know, put the associate world in, in outstanding light. So congratulations to everyone there. And as we mentioned before, the, the tournament is going to the USA later in the year as well. For a, a second edition, we assume that the format will be quite similar to this one as well. So looking forward to that. Speaking of America... Uh, Major League Cricket and Minor League Cricket have officially been sanctioned. It was <laughs> not so timely for us from a podcast point of view, given that our Deep Point episode went out about the potential snagging or the or the not sanctioning of those tournaments. That was with Nate and Nick last week. Just a day after that pod went out, there was news that kind of filtered through not only us, but around the EC world, uh, talking about the impending sanctioning and then the news coming through probably two days after that those boys outlined it so well in the podcast last week so it, a lot of it is still relevant in talking about the politics in, in American cricket and everything that goes on there between ace major league and minor league cricket and then USA cricket um, working as as separate entities and, and the politics that goes on with that is as much as it is a flawed system what it does mean is there is a lot of complications and a lot of legalities and, and Nick and Nate do an excellent job of explaining all of that. So if you haven't listened to that pod, uh, make sure to do so. But we will have uh, an ICC sanctioned event, a USA cricket sanctioned event for Major League Cricket, the six-team tournament, and then Minor League Cricket, which is a 2017 tournament. Some of the best players in the world will be featuring in this. You know, the Anrik Nortkirs of the world, the Wanindu Hasarangas, uh, we would assume now that they will get their NOCs granted because this tournament has been sanctioned. It's going toe-to-toe with the 100 in terms of the time frame as well. But Tim, kind of looking at it from a legal standpoint and looking at it from a governing body standpoint as well, it's pretty murky in terms of this situation and it's one that 
we've not really seen in emerging cricket nations in times gone past because a lot of these have just been organised by the national governing body of a of a country. But if you look towards, say, a Nepal and, and the Everest T20 and the Nepal T20 over there, USA with their own T20 competitions as well, it is slightly more complicated, isn't it? Yes, where the, you know, the Everest T20 and everyone, like PPL and, and whatnot there, there was never a direct relationship in the sense of funding and academies and high performance agreements or sharing of future full member revenues if uh, the the documents that have been shared around uh, the internet are to be believed it's just a bizarre situation really that people involved would be willing to basically white ant or you know sink the the potential of these events in the year after You've been trying trying to get these off the ground and COVID and everything that, that's that, that's come in and it just to me again just you think well minor league cricket was supposed to be held beforehand and leading up to it where the chance for some of the best minor league players to be drafted and and selected in and now that minor league cricket's gonna be played after I can look at hopefully that doesn't take the sheen off the off the minor league and perhaps with the major league before it there'll be a lot more interest we can only hope but um i think all of us looking at this and despite it being kind of very much an sort of an indian driven event in the sense that it's indian money from the times of india focusing on the the market in, a, in the usa interested in e- perhaps in indian cricket rather than american cricket we can only hope that this is the tipping point this is the this is what pushes the needle to get people on the continental US watching cricket in in USA and and it jumps from there you know we always use the USA 94 comparison and I think that's something that we're looking at both from a major league cricket and a men's t20 world cup next year as well and we can only hope with this now going ahead that that also means that they're getting getting their stuff sorted so we're going to see matches in America well in the USA next year and it, it doesn't get taken away from them. Oh, yeah, it's always a complicated one, you know, when the USA cricket are receiving 5% of what's being made here. Uh, and they're the ones seemingly with the power of, of green lighting the event. It, it brings a lot of complications and they're not bringing a whole lot to the party in terms of how this tournament's being put together. That's very much a an MLC and ace cricket situation that, that they deal with. To me, it's just... Barmy, and again, definitely encourage anyone who hasn't listened to go back and listen to to Nate and Nick explain it. But it is balmy to think that you know five percent of where the money ends up somehow you seemingly still have the power to turn things down or to delay things. And as you said, with minor league now being played out after it, it kind of defeats the purpose of what minor league cricket should have been. You know, Nate made a good point last week on the pod that spots for major league teams were going to be comprised of players who performed well at minor league level moving up and then playing major league cricket on on top of that so it definitely still breaks down the the format or the system that MLC wanted to have for their tournament so this delay while you know a sanctioning did come eventually it it, it came at a cost uh, and that being you know the, the, the whole system is has been thrown into jeopardy. And I think if MLC were smart about it, you know, if if the tournament wasn't to go as well as maybe they predicted or they saw in their forecast for the tournament this year, then, you know, they can easily turn around and say to USA Cricket, well, this is this is your fault because, you know, you took this long to sanction the event. We're here trying to plan it, not knowing that we've got anything lined up. You know, the players are, are there on, you know, treading on eggshells, waiting to find out if they're going to play in 
unapproved cricket. And of course, they're not going to play in that, you know, and risk the repercussions that come from that as well. So uh, it means that everything has to be done pretty quick by MLC in in terms of putting, you know, things together and in motion for for the tournament. I'd not be surprised if that gets moved back by a little bit as well, just to ensure that it it, it sort of uh, runs properly. Yeah, it's, you don't look too far recently to, to see situations here with uh, Channel 7 suing Cricket Australia, saying that the value of the broadcast that they'd paid money for was hindered because of decisions taken by Cricket Australia. And I'd hate for us to get in a situation where Major League Cricket takes any action against USA Cricket in a more litigious jurisdiction. Um, if there is uh, any reduction in value and then we have more fighting and more court time so we can only hope that doesn't happen americans don't love court cases tim that'll never happen let's move to your neck of the woods tim because there is news on on your front in vanuatu with the australian indigenous teams touring arriving on the 3rd of may departing on the 10th i'm sure a lot of preparation is is going into that you guys obviously rebuilding after the two tropical cyclones that have come through, I'm sure not making it much easier, but a pretty important tour in the grand scheme of things, I think for both the Australian Indigenous teams and, and for you guys to host them as well. It's a great event and it's one that will hopefully strengthen the ties in, in cricket in the region further. Talk to us about you know the, the events are upcoming. Yeah, we've got the men's and women's national Indigenous teams landing on the, the 3rd of May, so they'll be here for a week. There'll be four match days, so... Our women and men will each get four T20s against the respective Aussie sides. First time we've ever had an officially sanctioned Cricket Australia team tour. So this is majority funded by Pacific Oz Sports out of Australian Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade as they step up in the Pacific. And I think it's a real great chance for, as you said, um, what's well, a, well, a huge event anyway and huge for us for a lot of cultural exchange. I think with uh, everything that's happening from a political point of view in, in Australia, but uh, also a lot of considerations here. Great chance for a bit of sharing uh, stories and, and history. And knowing it's, I think it's the first Indigenous tour for, since 2018, since um, pre-COVID days. I think uh, an old teammate of me would be coming over as a coach, Jeff Cook, big left-hand batter from uh, Sydney who played most of his professional cricket for North Ants in the UK, but um, uh, from the country and Indigenous family history. So he'll be here coaching. So it'll be good to catch up with some old, old uh, eastern suburb stories, but that's sort of by the by. No, and the Australian High Commission here have been amazing setting up uh, meetings and events that will hopefully um, raise this, this to the sort of level that it deserves to be. I think uh, with cricket being... Vanuatu's highest ranked teams both in men's and women's um, it'll be a great chance for, for everyone to come down and see the, the teams play it's just too bad there's not, never a dull moment here that uh, that we've lost four of our best men's players that have gone, gone fruit picking in the last week you know with uh, Andrew Mansali, Patrick Matatava, Juna Katapo and Apo Steven all uh, hopping on a plane last Friday to um, for nine month contracts but that's something that we uh, are always fighting against here for those not aware that people in the Pacific are able to tap into a, a scheme that is great for the farmers in Australia because they get uh, the help they need when it's not within Australia and also the salary potential for people compared to what your uh, 
your base income here is increased that by six or seven times. So I think uh, about 20% of the uh, one in five of people of a sort of working age are either have been there or on their way there or looking at going um, at any one time, especially after sort of post-COVID and post-cyclones. I think it's something that people, something it is something that people are considering. So it's, yeah, it's been a bit of a challenging time, but uh, as you've seen yourself, Daniel, there's a, there's a lot of talent here uh, across both men's and women's teams to uh, to put on a good show. So like I said, there'll be four T20s each, hoping that they'll all be streamed, hoping we can even get it on local TV here as well, but working through through that at the moment. Yeah, there's always a lot of moving parts. I've noticed, you know, in, in my time with you in Vanuatu, moving parts and, and things happening almost every day where you, you kind of need to make decisions are kind of on the fly as soon as you hear about them um challenges coming kind of at every turn uh you guys are on the hunt as well for a a new men's national team coach and i'm guessing the successful applicant would be uh head of high performance as well have you got any news on that yeah the interviews will be happening this week i think we got seven or eight lined up so that's good we'd put a little bit of a stop well, a little bit of delay to it with everything that happened with the Cyclones and also Andrew Mansali had been deputising that role and was, was going really well, probably more from a coaching point of view than sort of full program management, but had sort of just put things back a little bit of time to see how he went and uh, when he made his decision, but he just, he's decided to, to go off to Australia. So that sort of meant that we can get everything going again. So hoping that that will all be sorted within a week or so with us getting those interviews all done and get stuff moving quickly so we can have someone here with enough runway before we have our men's T20 World Cup regional final at back end of July. Yeah, looking forward to that and uh, fingers crossed we'll, we'll be there at that tournament with you. That's a four-team tournament with uh, PNG, Philippines and Japan as well, gunning for that one automatic spot for the T20 World Cup. Uh, hasn't been a great time for the region in terms of PNG losing their men's one-day international status. Their women still have it, of course, but you know, they, there will be an automatic qualifier from the EAP region at next year's T20 World Cup for the USA and the West Indies. So that's a good sign and looking forward to, to that as well. Let's move on. Africa, we had some news last week with Henriette Ashimwe winning uh, ICC Women's Player of the Month for March. She actually beat out two players from, from EAP and PNG for that accolade as well. There is some action in the form of the Victoria Series uh, Uganda hosting Kenya, Rwanda, Tanzania, and the UAE. All of those countries, of course, without UAE being the, the kind of interregional team there, but all of those teams in Africa preparing for T20 World Cup qualification of their own coming up. Looking forward to it, uh, just a round-robin five-team tournament and then a final held on the 23rd of April. It does begin on April 18, so uh, it will have already started by the time you are listening to this. Running through the teams again, Kenya, Rwanda, Tanzania, Uganda, UAE. Uh, looking at the UAE squad, a couple of players from uh, Fairbreak actually heading over straight pretty much to this tournament. Mahika Gore is not one of them. Kavisha Egadage uh, will be there. Uh, the team's led by Chai Mugal. Esha Oza is the VC as well. There could well be... I could almost call them tournament favourites. The hosts, led by Concia Weko and Jenna Mbabazi, who play such a big part in that team as well. And Rwanda, who, as we know, have gone from strength to strength, and especially over the last couple of years in women's cricket, uh, including both Henriette Ashimwe and namesake Giselle Marie Bimin Yamana leading the team there. 
look, it's a region that we've talked about at length in previous podcasts being a great one in terms of producing talent in that they play such consistent competition uh, over the course of each year. UAE will be tapping into that coming in and, and visiting the Lagogo Stadium in Kampala for the tournament. But, you know, between the likes of the Kabuka tournament and, and other tournaments around in the region, these teams know a lot about each other, but ultimately it boosts and it lifts everyone up. The rising tide floats all boats. Definitely rings true in Africa, in, in women's cricket at least, Tim. Yeah, it's just too bad that Zimbabwe's schedule has meant that they're not able to play and defend their title because I think we kind of see this more so than any other region that in terms of chasing down established full members, if we call Zimbabwe that, that, that but we're getting closer and closer in, in Africa than perhaps anywhere else with the chasing associate pack, um, especially in women's cricket. So, But on the flip side, it's great that the, the UAE... Are there, you know, there's no ICC money for this event, so it'll all be coming out of their own coffers. But I'll put my Vanuatu hat on now, but it's a lot easier when you get a direct flight from Dubai to Kampala to be able to, to consider these sort of things because uh, for a lot of other countries and considering the extra links to get there, but, you know, you've got to take advantage of these things when you can. So great to see UAE there and they'll be right at the top of that. Well, you'd like to think with uh, what they've shown, especially in Asian comps, but, you know, having this cross-regional event as is, is it will bring some relevance to uh, to the rankings, won't it? Yeah, so often we've bemoaned those rankings. I think, Tim, you might have uh, had, had some help in, in the men's uh, Pacific Island Challenge Cup of someone giving ICC a nudge and telling them that their rankings... Of, of your team were incorrect in counting. Was it though they, they counted either the wrong fixture or they said that PNG were playing T20 internationals? I can't remember exactly what happened now, a few weeks removed, but it is important, you know, and the way that we think that qualification and, and pathways are going to go in future, it, it seems as if, you know, there's only going to be more emphasis on ICC rankings and it's crucial that you you kind of make your your hay while you know the sun shines and you would like to think that the rankings actually are more indicative of the abilities of each team when you have as much competition on as you do in places like Africa and it, it, it sort of makes sense it, it just ultimately falls down because there's not enough cross-pollination between teams of different regions playing it's a good point to make though that you know we're only going to have to look at these at these rankings more and more just in terms of the pathway events that are going on and the Africa T10 is also approaching on the men's side of things too so we'll see at least more cricket I know that that doesn't really come into into rankings or anything like that but it's another good chance for you know for for players from around the the region to to showcase their skills yeah for sure and you know we've had some approaches to to some of our players here to to play in that so just shows how far and wide they're they're looking not not just going down the old full member journey and then situation where they're just clipping the ticket of another player that's been already around the world so that that could be really exciting especially as it sort of leads into that t20 uh time for us i'd say you know t10 is probably a lot closer to t20 than perhaps than 50 over cricket is to uh to T20, so leading if we can get someone like a Narlin there, smacking it around, and then can get on the plane, and then come and play for us um, in the regional final. That that'd be great, and it's also huge earning potential there as well with the the salaries going um, going quite high. But even at the base levels, being you know still double digits in US thousand dollars, so that's exciting. And Africa, I well, was seeing a lot more energy, I should say, 
coming out of Africa, I think, in, in recent days and probably any, any other region when we look at these type of events. Let's move on to Asia. And we've got uh, Asia Cup qualifiers coming up in the form of the Men's Premier Cup, the ACC tournament in Nepal. Uh, it's a 10-team tournament split into two groups of five. We'll have uh, semifinals and a final. Only the winner taking the last qualification spot for the tournament. And if, if there was a bigger carrot dangled in front of a team i don't think you'll find one you get to play india and pakistan in the same group for you know the ultimate challenge and that's of course pending those teams playing each other Uh, we know that the political situation there in terms of pakistan hosting the event things are, are far from final there as well but for now just the one team to come through this tournament as mentioned hosted in Kathmandu across both the tu and the mulpani grounds Good to see the Mulpani uh, ground get a chance to showcase some international cricket, international with uh, perhaps inverted commas, given that I don't think they host a match between two teams with ODI status, and therefore uh, they won't be hosting one-day internationals per se. But uh, we do have Nepal and Oman in the same group, which makes a fascinating Group A, also containing Saudi Arabia, Qatar and Malaysia. Qatar and Malaysia, two teams as well sort of on the rung below. Malaysia, a Challenge League team, a team that you know fairly well given Vanuatu's matches against them. The other group, UAE, Kuwait, Bahrain, Singapore, and Hong Kong. A couple of banana peels there for UAE who are probably the favorites in that group as well, but we know that Anshi's back for Hong Kong. The batting looks relatively strong. Singapore, uh, who have probably been a little bit disappointing since Tim David uh, departing the team, very much can win uh, a match on, on any given day. We know that both Bahrain and, and Kuwait are two teams that have sort of emerged as, I guess, the next teams to kind of come from the region who might challenge. Um, the top three of the tournament also go to the ACC Emerging Teams competition. It's a sort of a second 11-style competition with uh, Asian Cricket Council full members as well. Saudi Arabia has been in the news this week with you know potential IPL-style competitions as well. I'm not sure we'll get a chance to go into that, but to... Look at the Men's Premier's Cup. The first question I want to ask you, Tim, is we've got you know three teams who competed from League 2 here. Oman, who finished second. Nepal, who ultimately finished third after that dream run. And UAE, who have bounced back and found their form in Namibia after the playoff. Uh, who do you put as the favourites here? Also worth noting, uh, Nepal at home. Yeah, that's a huge factor. The energy coming through with their wet sail and playing at home, you'd have to say their favourites. And it feels really weird saying that because over the last few years we've been thinking quite the opposite about uh, Nepal's fortunes. But similarly with with UAE, um, I don't think, well, not many of us tipped them to to get through the World Cup qualifier playoff. And although that's 50 over cricket, momentum is an amazing thing in cricket, as we all know. And you talk about some of those names, and I I know we don't like talking about rankings, but Saudi Arabia are the lowest ranked and they're... They're as high as 33, and there's Singapore, Bahrain are only you know 30 and 29 respectively, and the the other teams are sort of in the the early mid 20s, apart from the UAE and Nepal, who are very um, firmly in the in the teens. So I, I think there could be some upsets here. Um, you know, Qatar and Malaysia both have been in the same Challenge League group and know each other, and there's a lot of talent in that Qatar team as well. And I think the that could be a banana skin for a couple of those teams looking at, at getting through. Normally, we don't really like our 10-team tournaments, but uh, this one to get to a, to get to single winner to, to get out with the, well, what's at the end of the rainbow. But you mentioned Anchi being back for Hong Kong, and I think we have to call Hong Kong 
Asia Cup qualifying specialists, yep. seeing what they've been able to do the last two times when they've seemingly been down and out and to see them come through in these qualifying events. And especially with Anchi back and, and in form, it would seem from the tournaments that we've seen in Hong Kong lately. So who do I tip? I'm going to say it's going to be a Nepal-Hong Kong final and Hong Kong's going to win. Oh, I like that. Yeah, uh, 50 overs, he works into his game so well. We saw... Uh, in that recent home series that they had Hong Kong and she playing 50 over cricket is it's almost a different beast he just gets a chance to get himself in and and move into his innings and I think pound for pound he's still probably in the top five in terms of associate batters around the world a big boost for Oman with Akib Elias coming back too I think it's worth noting um, had that foot injury that that sidelined him for so long last year um, they were slow finishes in League 2. They're actually a little bit... They might come in a little bit cold. They haven't played a whole lot of 50-over cricket recently because they did their League 2 dash so early and just watched everyone else come in as they sat in the clubhouse. They, they did lead for a long time in that competition, were eventually overrun by Scotland as League 2 winners. We all know about Nepal and what they did. Uh, Monty Desai, whatever he's got in the momos for, for his batting group uh, is pretty special and UAE who I think have turned a new leaf uh, with some new leadership in Mohamed Wazim captaining Robin Singh no longer there they look an energized outfit runs are starting to come from several players in that team uh, the bowling outside of Mayapan and, and maybe the spin of Mustafa I think their quick bowling might just be their Achilles heel but they should enjoy uh, Nepali surfaces it'll be very interesting to see you know, should UAE go up against Nepal again uh, at the TU ground, um, whether or not we see the same frivolity as we saw in that game, the last League 2 game of the cycle, where uh, we saw time-wasting, we saw, you know, the crowd going ballistic, and ultimately we saw a Duckworth-Lewis-Stern victory after some fading light in Kathmandu. So there's never short of drama here in the region, and it's a competition that we look forward to and, and I think we can both agree that the way the ACC handles their uh, continental events and their regional events, they, they tend to do a really good job in in ensuring that you know they can put things up like this. We know that they've probably got a little bit more financial backing in terms of a region, but they are almost the yardstick of, of what a regional body can be in international cricket team. Yes, and I sort of go back to Hong Kong experience and what it had meant to them of making the Asia Cup way back in the early 2000s and, and how that was held aloft as being such a, an amazing achievement and something to aspire to get back to. And really, remember how funding used to be split up. It used to be 50% went to the ACC to distribute within the, within those countries and then half went to, to everyone else. But yeah, as you said, having five full members being able to put tournaments on that like that makes a, make a huge difference, but it's not like that money is only going to the big countries you know it's going into underage tournaments more than any other region and it gives us an event like this which is a feeder tournament into uh, a major event um, that has more teams than uh, than any other like ICC event but uh, it's going to be an interesting watch for for me because the way that the Cricket World Cup Challenge League playoff is going to look like will be the bottom four teams, as in two from each one, being Italy and Bermuda from Challenge League B, Malaysia and Vanuatu, Challenge League A, um, matched with the next four highest T20I ranked countries that have, you know, long form cricket, as in long form white ball cricket. And 
funny enough, you know, if you look at the rankings as I was talking about before, talking about T20i rankings, because that's all we've got to work off, work off looking at these these countries. It looks like it will be Kuwait, Bahrain, um, and potentially Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia or Tanzania. It could be as we look, look down that list. So it's going to be interesting to see how those countries fare in 50 over cricket and what they've got, especially against the best associate teams in Asia. Looking forward to this tournament beginning uh, on the 18th. So again, as you all listen, it has begun final on the 1st of May as well. Some more news tidbits to round out this week. First to Bangkok, where Thailand have claimed a 78-run win over Zimbabwe in the first of three ODIs at the Turd Thai Cricket Ground, while Zimbabwe young gun Kelis Inlovu claimed 5 for 22 to restrict the host to 154. It was somewhat overshadowed by 19-year-old Thapacha Putawong, who finished with 6 for 6, bundling the tourists out for just 76. The second and third matches will be played out on April 21 and April 23. And finally, Portugal have claimed a 3-0 T20i series win at home to Gibraltar. The Portuguese claimed a 124-run win in match one before two five-wicket wins completed a clean sweep. Gibraltar's Philip Rikes compiled two 50s to finish the series as the leading run scorer, while teammate Ian Latin claimed three two-wicket hauls to lead the wickets tally. That wraps up everything in the emerging game. Thank you for joining me once again, Tim, uh, to discuss all things emerging cricket. A shout-out to Nick as well, who probably earned uh, an episode off after making sure that he was here uh, holding the, the fort and the EC fort together uh, in the time that we've both been away. But uh, good to chat, Tim, and, yeah, looking forward to everything going on uh, in the uh, the evolution of emerging cricket moving into 2000 and well, late 2023 and beyond. I know. It's already getting there. Eh? We're already in the middle of April, but uh, no. Thank you, Daniel, and thank you, everyone, for listening. And, uh, and like you were talking about before, if you want to support us get on to patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash emerging cricket if you want to support us and everything we do but thank you to those that have supported us and continue to support us we wouldn't be able to do what we do without you all emergingcricket.com is the site whether it be the current or the new one and of course you're listening to this either on spotify apple podcast podbean or just about wherever you can get your uh, emerging cricket podcast fix Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, we're everywhere. Uh, Make sure to whack us a follow if you haven't already. Uh, But on the behalf of both of us and everyone in the AC community, enjoy the rest of your week and enjoy your emerging cricket.